quartet. Love you guys. Appreciate you so much. Wonderful, wonderful. Thrill my soul. Brother Charles, thank you for the invitation to come back. Appreciate it. Love this church. Brother Johnny Hunt, thank you for preaching the Word of God right to my heart tonight. And uh, thank you for the impact that you've had on my life down through the years. And back in the early 90s, he gave me a chance, an opportunity that forever changed my life. And I just want to thank you, brother, for that. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Judges, chapter 7. And I'm going to begin to read in verse 9. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, chapter 7. And I'll begin to read in verse 9. And I want to preach tonight on this subject, constant encouragement. Constant encouragement. From the book of Judges, chapter 7 and verse 9. The Bible says, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Gideon, arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel, and he has said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Let's pray together. Dear God, tonight, I pray that you'll put into my mouth the words for this moment, into my mind your thoughts, and I pray that I will preach as a dying man to a dying world. Lord, I must decrease, and you must increase. And Lord, I just want to confess the devil is a defeated foe. In Jesus, you are Lord of all. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. A famous preacher many years ago said, Gideon was a man who needed constant encouragement. And I find that I am a man who also needs constant encouragement. I can understand why he would be discouraged. He never really wanted the job of being the deliverer of the nation of Israel. He never really saw himself as gifted or a man who had leadership qualities. Our first side of him is in the bottom of a wine press. He's threshing grain, hiding from the Midianites. 
And the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, O Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. And he must have looked around, thought must be somebody else here named Gideon because I'm not a mighty man of valor. In fact, I'm hiding down the bottom of this wine press. I'm scared to death of those Midianites. And yet the Lord told him he was the man who would deliver the people who had been under attack for seven solid years, who lived as prisoners in their own home. He was the man who was the answer to their prayers and the man who was going to deliver them from that bondage. He was, I believe, a man who had many reasons to be disheartened, not only because he didn't see himself as a victorious leader, but uh, the job God had called him to. I, I mean, the task that was at hand. He was supposed to defeat an army of 135 thousand bloodthirsty, battle-hardened Midianites. And when he looked at the task, it just seemed impossible. And then I understand why he could get disheartened. Uh, it's who he had to work with. I mean, he looked over at who God had chosen to help him overcome the 135,000 bloodthirsty Midianites, and it was 300 men whose sole qualification was they lapped up water out of their hand like a dog laps up water. So as he looked over there with those guys with their tongue hanging out of their mouth, and he looked at the 135,000 Midianites in the distance, and he looked at his own weaknesses, I can understand why he was disheartened. When I look at my own self, and I look at my own limitations, when I look at the task that I'm to win a lost and dying world, to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm to impact a community, and I face as a Christian, and you face maybe one of the greatest obstacles to getting out and reaching people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that the modern church has ever faced. And then when I look at what I've got to work with, and I'm telling you, it's like a Clint East movie. It's the good and the bad and the ugly. You know what I mean? I thought that was a Christian movie. That's why I went to see it, because of the title and realized it wasn't. I'm telling you, when you look around and you see faithlessness and you see people who are flaking out, I'm telling you, you could be disheartened. So the message is very simple tonight. I want to give you from the Word of God the three truths that constantly encourage me. The three truths that keep me going. The three truths that get me up in the morning, the three truths that set my soul on fire, the three truths that help me continue to this very moment, press ahead with a positive attitude and a victorious outlook. I am encouraged by these three, three things. I'm encouraged by the settled promises of God. The settled promises of God. You know, the Bible says back in the early part of chapter 6, when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in verse 12 and said, O oh, you mighty man of valor, that the Lord also said to him in verse 14, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Now that's a promise. He said, You just go, and I promise you, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand, and you're going to be victorious. Well, he gave that same promise to him repeatedly until finally we see it again here in verse 9, where the Lord says, Arise and go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. And I'm telling you, we see promises throughout the Bible repeated over and over again. 
because God knows our weaknesses and God knows our failings and God knows our faith needs to be strengthened. And our faith is strengthened by repeating and reviewing like we have tonight the promises of a holy God. What feeds your faith, what helps you be fervent when you don't feel like being fervent is to stand on the promises of the living God. And if God said it, it's so. It doesn't matter if it doesn't seem to be so because he said it so, it is so, so I'm going to act like it's so because of what he said, he said it so. And when they shut everything down and I face, as you faced, this great coronavirus pandemic, I had to make a decision as a pastor. Am I going to wring my hands? Am I going to be a chicken little and run around and say the sky's falling? Am I going to be all gloom and doom? The church will never be the same. People are never going to come back. We're going to sort of have to hunker down and endure until Jesus comes again. Or I could stand on the promises of God. And as I began to look into the Word of God, in that moment, I made a decision. I was going to see everything through the lens of Scripture. And the Bible says I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is the promise that gripped my soul and grips my soul tonight. As I heard all of the experts giving their opinions about the church, I remembered and reviewed this settled promise. Jesus said in Matthew 16 to Simon Peter, Who do you say that I am? He said, You're the Christ the Son of the living God. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I rose up with that promise burning in my heart and I said to our church, until they're sick of hearing it, we're not going to survive the coronavirus. We're going to thrive through the coronavirus like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to come out of the fire. Greater is he that's within me than he that is in the world. Look out, devil, because when we get through that fire, we're coming out lean and mean, man. We're coming out ready to do battle because notice it says the gates of hell. We're on the offensive, driving the devil back down into the blast furnace of hell, and we're singing victory in Jesus every step of the way. I don't read anywhere in the Word of God that the church is going to fail, that the church is going to quit, that the church is going to cease to be, or the church is going to lose. I see a thriving, victorious church. The saddle promises of God. You know, I don't have any hobbies. I really believe, or really any abilities, I believe God looked down and said to the angels, we're going to call him to preach or he'll starve, slap to death. I really don't have any hobbies. And our deacons many years ago gave me some, they gave me some golf clubs and I just hated it. I would go out there and I hated it. I was just always sitting there going, where's the little lady with the cart that's got the Coke on it? You know, I, 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 one day it started raining and they said, we've got to quit. I was the first one back to the car, man. And finally they gave up on me. They said, you're absolutely right. You can't play. But my, the, really the, thing, the only thing I've got that is kind of a leisure thing that I do, besides just spending time with my wife, my family, grandkids doing those kinds of things and just preaching the gospel is uh, what David Jeremiah calls recreational reading. 
uh, I love to read suspense novels, like murder mysteries. I just love them. I love it. Now, this is the problem. I can't stand suspense. I mean, it just unnerves me. And man, I'll start reading one of those things, and I'll get beside myself. I'll say, who is going to kill this guy? And I'm I, I, I'm, I, and he'll get to, he's getting ready to go into a room, and I'm like, man, don't go in that room. And I, I get so tore up that finally I go over to the end, and I'm reading it, and I go, oh, it's the butler. And then I relax and read the whole book. And I want to tell you one more time, I did this when they said the church is up against the wall and there's no way out and I grabbed a hold of that promise, I then went to the last chapter of this blessed book, and when I got to the end of the chapter, I saw the church robed in white, standing before the throne of a holy God, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ from every tongue and from every tribe. I'm telling you, a victorious church standing there, I'm telling you tonight, I may never see you again. The coronavirus and gingivitis and arthritis and bursitis will not stop the church of the living Lord. The settled promises of God. I'm going to believe what God says is so and I'm going to act like it's so. And God said to him one more time, I'm telling you, I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hand. I make you this promise. But there is a second truth that constantly encourages me. And that is the truth of the sovereign plan of God. The sovereign plan of God. I don't believe life is just a bunch of incidents of chance and fate. I believe that God has a sovereign plan for the universe. And I don't believe that God ever loses control of His universe. And I believe that God Almighty is constantly working, sometimes visibly, and sometimes invisibly. Now this is what the Lord told Gideon to do. And I just love this part of the story. He says, now I'm giving you this promise. I have delivered them into your hand. But if you're still afraid, he said, I want you to go down to the camp with Pure, your servant, and you're going you're gonna to overhear something that I think is going to help you. So they sneak down there to the camp of the Midianites. And they begin to listen to a conversation between the Midianites, between the enemy. And one of them says there in verse 13, he says to his friend, you know, he says, I had a dream last night. It was the strangest dream. He says, to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent. Now, in the Hebrew, it's literally the tent. The tent. It's the tent of the general. That's what it's indicating, the leader of the army. A barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came to a tent, the tent, and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. And this is what the companion said to him. He said, well, I know, what, I know what's going on. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand. God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. In other words, Gideon is listening and he realizes God's already messing with their minds. God's already filling them with fear. God's already confusing the enemy. 
And this is what's beautiful. That barley bread, they realize that is a picture of Gideon. Barley bread was the cheapest kind of bread, the most common kind of bread, and it looked like a little biscuit. And he sees this vision of this little biscuit rolling into the camp, and when the little biscuit hits the tent of the commander of the enemy army, it flattens. Well, how can a little biscuit flatten the tent of the general? It wasn't the biscuit that had the power. It was the arm that pitched that biscuit into that enemy camp. It's just like God went bowling. He took, he took that biscuit in his hand and he flung that biscuit in there with such force it collapses the tent. And so Gideon realizes when I go into battle, I'm not going in my strength. I'm going clothed in the armor of the Holy God. It's a demonstration of the power of God. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Paul said when I stood and preached to you, Corinthians, I preached in a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden he sees this great truth that unseen to his human eye, there is an unseen hand that is working against the enemy to bring their defeat and to bring victory to the people of God. You know, I've learned that so many times, so many times in my ministry, and it encourages me. I can remember when Lisa and I, we went to this church early on. I was so young. I was still in my late 20s. And I hadn't been there six weeks. And I thought, I made a big mistake coming to this church. I left a wonderful church to come to this church. People tried to tell me. But I just was intent on going to this church. And it was just so dead. And there was one group that wanted to relocate the church because it was in what they call an old mill village, but the, the, they didn't want the people in the neighborhood to come to the church. And uh, they wanted to relocate the church. And some of them, who a few that were left in the neighborhood uh, that went to the church, they, they wanted to keep the church there, but they still didn't want the neighborhood to come to the church. And... And, and there was a split on the relocation. Some of them wanted to relocate over the pastorium. Some wanted to relocate over on a bypass. And I got so frustrated with these people, I said, you know what, you can dig up a dead body at this cemetery, and you can take it across town and relocate it in a new cemetery, but you still got the same problem. You got a dead body. Well, they didn't like that, boy. That, I'm telling you what, man, they, they were furious with me. It was so cold and dead, my wife starts, she loves kids, but she started a children's church. She said, I can't take being up in those dead services. I'll go down here with these kids, and we'll sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stop your feet, and shout hallelujah and amen. And they had one family that controlled the church, and the sister, she was a widow, and uh, had time on her hands, and was a tall, broad-shouldered woman, and I still remember it as if it was yesterday. In the winter, she wore capes. And she was in charge of surveillance of the pastorium, and she would drive by to see what we were doing and make sure we were home. She would stand in the vestibule of the church when I was shaking hands like she was the associate pastor. And finally, I told my wife, I said, I can't take it anymore. I said, it's dead here. I'll go anywhere. I don't care where God puts us. I just two requirements, that they want the Word of God and they'll smile. I said, that's all I'm asking, those two things. And so I said, every Wednesday, I'm going fast. And just like the Bible says, I'm not telling anybody about this fast. I'm going to fast. I'm not eating anything but drink water for 24 hours. You're the only one that knows. And I'm praying for one thing. God, get us out of this place. 
And I did that every Wednesday. I prayed that. I said, God, get that up. And one Sunday morning, we were laying in bed. We woke up. I was laying there. And I, I looked at the, kind of looked at the ceiling. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if today a pulpit committee showed up? And, uh, and, and, and before they left, they said they wanted to talk to us. And they come by the house. And it's like we'd known them all our life. She said, Herb, stop. Do not toy with my emotions. She said, it's, it's, it's tough enough having to deal with all of this. Well, we went to church that day, and uh, I, I preached, and I was standing back there, and that woman, that cape, standing back there behind me, and all of a sudden a man stopped, and he said, uh, we're from a pulpit com committee from Live Oak, Florida, and uh, I just uh, wanted to know we're going to go out to Shoney's to eat if we could come by your house and talk to you after the service. And it's discreetly because, you know, I got the KGB behind me there. I said, I said yes, I said, uh, I'd be glad to. And we kind of exchanged numbers there. And so Lisa and I would always meet at the car. She'd run by the nursery, and I, I went out to the car, and we were loading, had two little babies at the time. And I said, you'll never believe this. I said, we had a pulpit committee this morning. Uh, I met the guy. He wants, and then I had a bad thought. I thought, what if he thinks that woman with the cape is my wife? Oh, I... <laughs> And then I said to my wife, I said, there's a pulpit committee. They, they, he, he got my number. They're going to Shoney's, and then they're going to come by the house to meet with us. She said, would you stop this? Stop. All of this pretending. I said, look in my eyes. There was a pulpit committee there this morning. She said, get in the car. We've got to clean the house up. Man, we jumped in the car. We drove back home as fast as we could. And they came and sat around, and I remember them holding our babies, two baby boys in their laps. It's like we knew them all of our life. And they called me to be their pastor. And before we left, there was a, they sent a lady over to get Lisa upset and sent a guy over to get me upset. And Man, the movers loaded our furniture up, and we got in that vehicle. And uh, I prayed for us as we left that we could leave it all behind. And I'm telling you, I fired up that car, and we headed out. And as we were driving across the county line in my heart, I just envisioned that God was stripping demons off the fenders and I was singing in my soul, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last. And I put it behind me and I never thought about it. I put it behind me and I said, I never want to go back again anywhere near it. And the years passed. And I came, years and years passed. And I came to Jacksonville to pastor. And I drove over to Tifton to preach in a Bible conference. And a tall young man came up to me after the service and said, did you, did you used to pastor such and such church? And I was, it was that church. And first thing, I started having flashbacks. Man, a caped woman coming at me, you know? I mean, I was... And I thought, I bet his parents hated my guts because, you know, and it's been a long time ago. And I said, yes, I pastored it. He said, Brother Herb, he said, when you were there, I was in the third grade, and I got saved. And he said, you baptized me. And he said, I'm the youth pastor in this church. And that night, when I was on my way home, I said, God, forgive me. Because, you know, I thought it was a mistake that I went there. But it wasn't a mistake. You see, we don't value one soul. Let me tell you, God highly values one soul. 
I'm telling you, I believe God engineered my circumstances because there's a lot of stuff I needed to learn. There's a lot of maturity I needed to experience. But there was a little boy in the third grade who needed to trust Jesus as his Savior, who followed the Lord in baptism, who went on to the Baptist College of Florida and is pastoring a Baptist church to this very day. Let me tell you something. I want you guys that are down, you ladies that are down, I want you to get your chin up, get your lip up out of the dirt. Everything is going to be alright. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He's at work. He's using you. He's using your songs and your prayers and your witness and your service. He's using your witness. He's at work. You may never see it here, but someday you'll know when you stand in His presence that even when you couldn't see Him working, He was working. Well, there's a third truth. I'm encouraged by the settled promises of God I'm encouraged by the sovereign plan of God and I'm encouraged by the sure presence of God. We're never alone. And notice what happens. It says once he hears these men say this and understands that God's with him. It says when he hears the telling of the dream in verse 15 and its interpretation that he worshipped. Let me tell you what worship is. Number one, worship is an acknowledgement of the presence of the Lord. And the second thing you need to know about worship is worship is an appreciation, an appreciation of the presence of the Lord. And he began to worship because he recognized that every step of the way, God was going to be with him. You know, a few years ago, I was preaching at North Jacks, and I got up there and I gave the invitation, and I said this. I said, you may be here um, just thinking about leaving right now, but I want you to understand something. A lot of times the devil will whisper in your ear, and he won't tell you not to get saved. He'll just tell you to wait, to put it off. There's death is approaching, the coming of Christ. So you better get saved right now. I gave the invitation. We closed up shop and went home. The next Tuesday, I was flying out for a speaking engagement. And at that time, many years ago, I just never flew American Airlines. Never. I don't know if I'd ever flown on American Airlines. And I went out there to the airport in Jacksonville, and I walked up to the podium, and the airline representative was standing there, and he uh, looked up at me as he took my boarding pass, and he had the funniest look on his face. And it was odd. And he took it and scanned it and gave it back to me and kind of watched me. And I just thought, that's odd. And so I got on the plane. And I was sitting there on the plane. It was about half full. And all of a sudden, here he comes. And he's looking at me. And uh, people are putting their stuff in the overhead. And then I get concerned. I think, well, I wonder if something happened to my wife or one of my kids or something at the church, an emergency. They're trying to get me off the, the plane. And he came to me and he got right down beside me and he said, I want to ask you something. Are you the pastor at North Jacksonville Baptist Church? Well, that really worried me then. I said, yes. Now, you've got to understand, people are crawling over this guy to get in their seats. He says, I thought you were. And he said, I want to tell you, I was, I was in your church Sunday. He said, I was sitting up in the balcony. He said, when you said that thing about, you know, the devil will tell you to put it off, that's exactly what I did. That's, that's exactly what I did. And he said, when I looked up, and I saw you standing there. 
he said, I thought this is no accident. This is not a coincidence. And I said, sir, this is not a coincidence. The Holy Spirit is calling you, calling you to Jesus. And I said, when could we meet this week? He said, well, would Thursday be okay? I said, let's meet in my office. And we, we had a time. And by this time, that whole plane was full. I said, I'll see you Thursday. We can, we can talk about the gospel. And, uh, and so I, I sat there and got, got my, you know, got all ready to fly, had my, my seatbelt on. Here he comes again. Everybody, now everybody's watching. What's this guy doing? He walks to me, and I'm just sitting there, and I look up at him, and he looks at me, and he says this. He says, I got so blessed Sunday. He says, could I offer you a seat up in first class? Well, I'd never been up there at that time. I thought it was sort of like a fraternal thing because they closed that. I thought you had to have a secret password and maybe a tie tack or something to get in there, you know. I didn't know what they did up there. They always closed the curtain. I said to him, absolutely. And I looked around like I was somebody. I pulled my bag down. I walked down the aisle. And I went there and I sat down into my amazement. They, uh, when we took off, they put a linen napkin down on the table and and didn't only give me the whole can of Coke, man, they gave me a glass and, 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 and gave me wonderful food. And as we were winging our way, I thought, man, it pays to serve Jesus. Amen? You know what I'm saying? I was so blessed. But let me tell you the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing was on Thursday. He came and he set a cross for me in my office. And I gave him the gospel. And he bowed his head. And he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you, this is what amazes me. I was going to a place called Lavaca, Arkansas. I didn't even know where it was. 25 miles outside of Fort Smith. This is how big God is. God moved on a preacher in Lavaca, Arkansas to invite me to come to his church to preach the Word of God. I had to take American Airlines. He got me in the pulpit and that airline representative in the balcony on the same Sunday at the same service and it all came to fruition when I'm standing before him and he's standing before me. Let me tell you something, my friend. God's on the throne. God's in control and everything is going to be all right. Listen to me tonight. This, this is it. Jesus is a way maker. And he's working when I can't see him working. And he's working when I can't feel him working. So be encouraged. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Could we have, uh, for Trevor, could we have just a little music there? Let's all stand up to our feet and pray. And this has been from beginning to end. This is begin that from beginning to end, this has been an evening of encouragement. An evening of encouragement. So tonight, standing there at this altar, uh, just you need to say to the Lord, Lord, I received the encouragement, and I'm going to go in it. Lord, I'm going forward in faith. And if you've never been saved, Brother Charles is here. We'll have somebody show you how to be saved if you need to be saved. But Brother Charles is going to take the invitation. These altars are open. And I just want you to be encouraged tonight. God loves you. Holy Spirit of the living God, move in this place tonight and minister encouragement. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord.
Amen.